You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Mission Point tonight and Bible study night. Good to see you in the house of the Lord. And uh, we're going to enter into our service tonight. Why don't we stand and uh, pray for some needs that we've been praying about? Amen. We believe in a prayer answering God. Do we believe in a prayer answering God tonight? Amen. If you have a need, you come into the house of the Lord. Let's join together. Amen. And pray for these needs. God, I thank you for your mighty power and your mighty spirit. We invite your presence, God, into your house tonight. God, you know every need that we've been praying for, the ones, God, that we've been calling out before you. Salvation, God, healing, direction, God, comfort, whatever the need might be, God, we lean upon you. Our hope is in you. Our trust is in you. We believe in you tonight, God. Thank you for your mighty power and spirit. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in the past, what you're doing, and what you're going to do. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Going through the month of January, we've been focusing, and we will tonight focus on a little uh, podcast clip of Brother Bernard and then do some teaching following. But uh, So right immediately after the, the, the music tonight, we'll go directly into the podcast from Brother Bernard. And uh, uh, tonight we're, we're uh, dealing with the topic that Jesus is both God and man. And uh, we'll be focusing on that tonight. So why don't we just do a little bit of worship and praise and thanksgiving and song tonight. Amen. God bless you. dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first-century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this broadcast. In your book, The Oneness of God, you made made the statement. You said, from the Bible, we see that Jesus Christ had two distinct natures in a way that no other human being ever had. And then you you added this. You said, we can resolve most questions about the Godhead if we properly understand the dual nature of Jesus. What is the dual nature of Christ, and why is understanding this concept so important to a proper understanding of the Godhead? In making those statements, the main point is to say that Jesus is both God and human at the same time. He's both divine and human. Now, the word nature may have some philosophical ramifications, and so if you don't want to use that, that's fine. But basically what I'm saying, deity and humanity. And I believe this is the essential message of the Bible, and it's essential to understanding the oneness of God in Scripture. Uh, another term is used, incarnation. It's a Latin term simply meaning uh, manifest in the flesh. We do find this statement in John 1, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, John 1, 1. And then verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. The Word, it literally says tabernacled in the flesh. So 
the, the word, which is God in self-expression, God, the one true God himself revealing himself. That's the word became flesh, became human. Now, when we say flesh, we don't just mean body. Most of the time, flesh in scripture means human identity. And of course, for us, it's sinful human identity, but Jesus was born without sin and he never sinned. So in his case, it was the kind of humanity uh, with which God originally created Adam and Eve because Adam and Eve were created as truly human, but they were not sinful. They were innocent. They were capable of sin in their human life, but and they did sin, but they were not created with a sinful identity or sinful nature or a compulsion to sin. So Jesus comes... In, in a sense, we might say he's more human than we are in that we're fallen humans. We're marred, distorted humans, but he is original human. Uh, so it's a true human identity. Likewise, we find in 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifest in the flesh. There are many statements of the deity of Christ. Another example is John 20, 28. Thomas confessed Jesus as my Lord and my God. He was a Jew who believed Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. He knew there was only one Lord, one God, and he identified Jesus as the one Lord and one God. Yet Jesus was standing before him right there as a human being. So you can't escape the fact that he was also human. Another good example is the prophecy of Isaiah 9.6, which says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Obviously human, a child, a son. But this child and son is more than that. Because his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So this child and son is also the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. So that's what I mean when we say Jesus had a twofold identity. Maybe that's the way I would phrase it if I was writing the book now. He had a twofold identity and has a twofold identity, both deity and humanity. We see this again in Colossians 2.9. For in him, which is Christ Jesus the Lord, in the context, in him dwells, present tense, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Bodily, a real human identity. Godhead, the true God, everything that makes God who he is. Unless you would think that that, that could be a portion of deity, it says the fullness and unless you think that's still not definitive enough, it says all the fullness. So we have an unequivocal terms that Jesus is the one true God in all his fullness, yet revealed bodily or in flesh. Now, when I say, I mentioned a moment ago, flesh, body, don't think of it as just God in a body or God putting on a piece of flesh like I put on a coat. That's an inadequate explanation. It's God in human identity or God personified. God coming as a human person. Why do I say that? Well, what makes us human is more than just the body. If Jesus is going to be our kinsman redeemer, our substitute sacrifice, if he's going to take our place, if he's going to pay the punishment for our sins, he can't be just a body. <laughs> he has to be right. a human. Now, not a sinful human, as I've already said, but a true human nevertheless. Now, if you think of what makes us human, not only do you have a body, we have an inward person. Now, we could debate what does that inward person consist of and what kind of components. But just for the sake of discussion, the inward person is variously described in terms soul, spirit, mind, heart, will. Well, all those terms are used to Jesus and his humanity. 
when he prayed in Gethsemane, not my will, but your will. There's a human will. My soul is sorrowful, exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. He's speaking of humanness in his soul. At the cross, he cried out, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. There's a difference. He's not talking about God's spirit. He's talking about human spirit. Now, I would hasten to add, we shouldn't think of two different spirits in Jesus because that would imply that he's two persons or he's, you know, he's schizophrenic or it might imply that he's no different than us because after all, we are human beings. We receive God's spirit at some point in our lives. God's spirit dwells in us. But there was a time in our life before we had God's spirit and we could backslide, turn against God, reject his leadership. In that sense, we could live without God's spirit. So we have a separate human identity. Jesus did not have a separate human identity. The incarnation means humanity and deity were united in his spirit. So if you're going to speak of his spirit, I think you have to say he was both human and divine in spirit. And when his spirit left, that's when the body died and not before. So by saying that, that distinguishes Jesus from us. Jesus was not just a man who happened to have God's spirit living inside of him and he could live without God's spirit if he wanted to. But no, he was God by identity, by nature, in a way that we're not. We can say, I have God's spirit. But we can't say I'm God. Jesus could and did say, I and the Father one. Before Abraham was, I am. He made direct claims of deity. He was God manifest in the flesh. Now we see this dichotomy. We can distinguish humanity and deity in him. We cannot separate the two in him. That's my point. But we can certainly distinguish it in the sense that as a human, he grew hungry. As God, he fed 5,000 miraculously. As a human, he grew thirsty. As God, he told the woman at the well, I'll give you living water that you'll never thirst again. As a human, he was beaten, so he suffered. As God, he healed the sick. As a human, he died. As God, he raised himself from the dead. So in all these things, we see that he had a dual identity. He, he was both God and human at the same time. Now, sometimes we might say as oneness people, well, the son was the flesh and the father was the spirit. I think that's inadequate. The son is the total person, God as he is manifested in the flesh. But the term son always has, re always has reference to the incarnation. So we think of Father, we're thinking of God and His transcendence. We think of Son, that's God in the flesh. So there is a distinction, again, not a separation, not two persons, but the Father-Son language is essential to protect the true humanity of Jesus Christ, to show He was a real human being. Some people have questions about this. Well, well, did He speak as man one minute and speak as God one minute? Well, He spoke as a whole person. He acted as a whole person. He was the Son of God. So no, you can't say that. But you can say, like when he cried out on the cross, I thirst. Well, God doesn't get thirsty. So it was because he was a human that he could say that. But it was Jesus who said that. I'm not, it wasn't the flesh saying that. <laughs> it was Jesus saying that. You know? and, and likewise, when, when he said, I forgive your sins, a, a, a mere human can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. So was it just the God part speaking? No, it was Jesus the Son of God, the whole human being speaking, but he was able to do so because he was God. So we can distinguish 
these characteristics in him. And we can say his words and his actions represented this, but we can't separate them. So that's why I won't say, well, what was going on when Jesus prayed? Well, the flesh was praying to the spirit. Now that's inadequate. One nature is playing, praying to another nature. That's inadequate. Can a nature pray? What is a nature? Can a, can a, can flesh, a piece of flesh pray? No, it was Jesus as a human, a real human like us. Now, if that surprises us, think of it this way. If he didn't pray, he wasn't a real human. You know, he had to be just like us in every way except for sin. Everything we say or do, he had to be able to say or do, except he never needed to repent or he never needed to receive the Holy Ghost. But every way we relate to God, speak to God, speak about God, Jesus had to do the same in order to be in our place. So the shocking thing would be if he didn't pray. Now, um, how do we describe that? And does that mean Jesus praying to himself? No, again, that's inadequate. That's trying to reduce Jesus to one-sidedness. The best way to say it is like the scripture says, Jesus as a human prayed to God. That's all you have to say. But as a oneness believer, we understand at the same time, the spirit of God was fully incarnated in him. You say, well, that's hard to understand. Well, that's because you're trying to understand the incarnation, which by definition is a mystery. Now we know it's true. It's revealed, but the inner workings of how God could be a man at the same time, our human minds will never comprehend because it's outside of our experience. I mean, that, that baby, that three-day-old baby in his mother's arms is God. That child running around in the yard is God. That teenager is God. That 30-year-old man dying on the cross is God. How, how do we understand what's going on in his head? We, we can't understand it. I would say his human mind grew and understood as much as was capable. So as a baby, I don't think he was staring up his mom saying, I'm God manifest in the flesh. He was a baby. Of course, the Spirit of God was all-knowing. But even as a 12-year-old, he did have an awareness of his identity. So you can see and, and that Luke says he did grow wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. He grew intellectually, socially, spiritually, physically. Uh, so and only in those terms can we describe the incarnation. But again, I go to 1 Timothy 3.16. Great is the mystery of godliness. It's a mystery. Not how many gods there are. There's only one. That's not a mystery. How many persons? That's not a mystery. God is not a plurality of persons. The Bible never even says that. But what is the mystery? How that God could be manifest in the flesh. And that same verse goes on to say, scene of angels. What do you mean scene of angels? Now, angels are spirit beings, so I don't know how they relate to God in heaven. They, I don't think they need uh, light waves and retinas to, to see God. So I think see is metaphorical, how, however they relate to God. But there is something curious. Why would it say Jesus incarnate, he was seen of angels? The implication is something happened that never happened before. So I think the angels are saying, well, yeah, I know God, but wow, God is a human. Yeah. That's shocking. I actually seen physically of angels. And, and let me just close with this thought. Isn't it amazing? The infinite God of the universe loved us so much that in order to redeem us, he became one of us. Now, he never stopped being who he was, but somehow he became something he'd never been before. And he did it for us. And he's permanently identified himself with humans. Because in heaven, we're going to see Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh, as the one sitting on the throne. God in the Lamb, as one personal being, one face, one supreme name on one throne in, in Revelation 22, 3 through 4. Isn't that incredible?
So God created the angels. Maybe he's created other universes. Maybe he's created other worlds. Maybe there are millions of other races over the millennia that he's created. Who knows? But yet God is eternally identified in human identity. We're going to see him in the face of Jesus Christ. To me, that's a profound statement of the love of God. So the fact that Jesus is both God and human at the same time, that is the miracle of the incarnation, which was for the miracle of atonement. And what it teaches us is the grace of God and the love of God for us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Amen. I wish I could talk as clearly as him. Amen. Uh, so I'm just going to spend uh, a little bit of time talking about an important piece of what he said, uh, and that's about the incarnation, because that is a key component to understanding uh, both God and man. Um, Matthew 1 and 23 says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Romans 8 and 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemn sin in the flesh. And lastly, 1 John 5, 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. So I'm just going to pick up on that, a little piece of that segment of what he's talking about when it's talking about the incarnation. The incarnation, uh, as he said, is simply the manifestation of God as flesh. But the incarnation is a truth um, in the a truth that's in the past and even today, and it's largely uh, misunderstood at times because even that word, uh, sometimes we get, well, what, what are they talking about when they say incarnation? Uh, so sometimes it's, it's misunderstood, but simply is that Jesus is the one true and eternal God in flesh and blood as a human body. And so when we think of it in the terms, the one God who revealed himself to Abraham and Moses, others in the Old Testament, has come to earth as mankind to redeem people from their sin. That's why he said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, John 1.10 says he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Jesus Christ was crucified by the very people, nation, to which he was born. They didn't believe what he claimed to be. He claimed to be God in flesh. If they had to believe that, they would never have crucified him. But they didn't believe that he was who he was saying he is. They actually called it blasphemy. 
So um, I'm just going to break down the incarnation into three uh, simple topics. First of all, the eternal word, the living word, and the saving word. And maybe, hopefully, that'll give, um, I'll be able to explain a little bit here. So first of all, the eternal word, as you see that in John 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Before anything of this earthly realm existed, God was already there. He was already there. He is from everlasting to everlasting, eternally alive, existent in the distant past and equally existing in the future. He alone has no beginning and he alone has no end. Now, it's extremely difficult for us to understand that because we are not God. We're not God. When we hear um, the phrase and we quote it, we say it, we pray it, he's Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, it's only limited in our imagination how that is. That's why uh, when, when God gave Moses uh, his name, he said, I am. It's interesting that he didn't say, uh, I was or I shall be, but rather he said, I am. I am. And it doesn't matter when you say that or how you say that, uh, he is. And so when he made the statement uh, that before Abraham was, I am, that's what upset people because they knew before Abraham was, was only Jehovah. And what, what Jesus was declaring, that I am Jehovah. <laughs> Amen. And so in the Old Testament, the relationship God had with his creation was primarily through uh, the written and the spoken word. And uh, you, you can see that. Uh, he reveals his attributes of love and holiness and justice and mercy, long-suffering, power, splendor. He does that through his word. And the writer of Hebrews gives us this understanding in 11 verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Uh, look at this verse, Genesis 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, that's the spoken word, let there be light, and there was light. Psalm 33 and 6 says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all uh, that the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He spoke into existence what we have today. The incarnation included the eternal word. It was more than just a baby. He already was. He already was. It's important to grasp that. The power of God's spoken word is awesome and indescribable. And in the authority uh, structure on earth, some people uh, speak with authority and their subordinates uh, respond. However, each figure of authority is limited in the demands. If you work for someone, they 
they're still limited in the demands that they can make upon you. If they uh, desire too much of you, you just may get to the point and you say, well, you know what? Uh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> too bad, so sad, your dad. I'm gone. <laughs> well, um, there was no authority that God did not have. When he said, let there be light, there was light. There was no, well, you know what? I'm not sure if that's going to take place, when that's going to take place, how that's going to take place. No, there instantly was light. The supreme power and the authority of God's word, spoken or written. That's why you see in Matthew chapter 8, the centurion, he just says to Jesus, listen, if you just but speak the word, there will be healing take place. You don't even have to come to the house. The understanding of just the power of the eternal word, the spoken word. And so the centurion obviously recognized both the power and the authority of the almighty God was in Jesus Christ. If you just speak it, it'll be like just it was in Genesis chapter 1. What you say will take place. Isn't it awesome to have a complete confidence in 2023 that when the Lord speaks something, that's exactly what's going to happen? You don't have to wait for it to trickle down to see if it's going to bypass or, or, or make it through. No, no. When God says, that's exactly what's going to take place. It hasn't changed. The eternal word is still the same. Secondly, as I hasten on, Secondly, the living word. Throughout the Old Testament, God communicated with humanity through visions and voices and prophets and dreams. And on occasion, he even used uh, temporary visible means to talk with mankind. And those things are called theophanies. And you'll see all through the Old Testament, uh, Jesus uh, uses all of uh, these things and, and speaks about them in the New Testament of uh, things that took place in the Old. And throughout the Old Testament, you see God reveal himself. I'll just give a few examples. He, uh, God appeared in the form of a man, uh, Abraham, to inform him of his impending judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Jacob, during an all-night wrestling match, a uh, uh, prayer meeting that took place, and his names changed to Israel. Uh, to Joshua, as the captain of the host of the Lord. Uh, those are just some examples where uh, God appears in the form of a man. But he also appears in the form of an angel at different, at different times. To Moses. Moses, speaking out of the midst of a burning bush, calling him to lead Israel out of Egypt, to Samson's mother and father to inform them of his birth. Uh, uh, those are some examples of, of how God appears in the form of a man or as an angel. And, and different times, uh, if you look at the three Hebrew children that were in the fiery furnace, uh, and, and, and there's a, an appearance that, well, didn't we put three inside? How come there's now four? And so God shows up in different ways. Uh, and so what he does, uh, uh, as you know, God re reserved uh, his greatest manifestation for a later time in, in uh, the New Testament when he would reveal himself not as a theophany of some sort, but rather as the incarnation. This eternal word was going to become flesh. Not only was it going to become flesh, it was going to be the living word. 
the eternal word was becoming the living word. When you see the word found in, uh, the term word found in John 1 and 1, it was translated from the Greek word logos, and that word simply means something said, including the thought. Uh, by implication, a topic, uh, subject of discourse, uh, uh, also reasoning, the mental faculty. Uh, you just see a divine expression that John is, is, is uh, saying. He says, he's, he's, uh, John is addressing himself primarily to the Greeks, and so he uses a word, logos, which they would understand to refer to God in, 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 uh, in a way that would effectively communicate that God had a thought and plan that he was himself going to become humanity. And that's why when he writes that at the very beginning of the book of John, and he tells his Greek audience, uh, he says, listen, this, this word is going to show itself in not some type of a theophany or an angel. No, he's going to become humanity. And that's why... Verse 14 is so powerful, and Brother uh, Bernard used uh, the term that it, it speaks about being tabernacled in. The Word was made flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, amen, in that flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. And so uh, John declares how that the God who created the universe in the beginning now had come in human flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, was God, and that Word became flesh. And so John says, listen, here's what happened. The God who spoke the eternal Word in Genesis 1 has become the living Word in John 1. You could, uh, you could understand it uh, this way, God who is eternal spirit manifested himself to us as the father in creation, in the son of God, in the purpose of redemption, and the Holy Ghost in our regeneration. He manifested himself in different capacities. Uh, and so those three manifestations of the one true God is known to us still by one name. By his name, Jesus. And that's why Paul writes and says, the fullness of the deity dwells uh, in him bodily. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. Paul writes in Galatians 4 and 4, says this, And when the fullness uh, of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Hebrews 10 and 5, wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And lastly, Hebrews 2, verse 16, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. See, the, 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 the writer of Hebrews is, is giving a, a clear definition of the transition from the Old Testament, temporary visitations of God, to the New Testament where he's manifested as God. And that's what allows us to be changed today. Oh, thank God 
amen, that he is all-powerful. He is almighty. He's everlasting. Thank God, amen, that you and I have an understanding tonight that uh, uh, because of who he is, not just what he can do, but because of who he is, all power in heaven and earth belongs to him. The writer of Hebrews starts it out the book uh, and said, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, Old Testament, had, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Notice that. Spoke unto us, Son, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He came and took himself into the human body so that he could, he could say that I was tempted in all points like as you were. He could feel the infirmities that you feel. He could understand uh, uh, what you're going through. He is the express image of his person. So Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Uh, the word begotten comes from the Greek word monogenes, which means only born. Jesus is the only visible image that God created to, for himself so that man could see him. He is the express image of an invisible God. Uh, Jesus did not exist in a physical form before his birth, but he was already God in eternity. And so by taking upon himself the human form, he became the visible image of an invisible God. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful, hallelujah, that he came as man so, uh, uh, so that he could die on the cross for you and I, take our place, become the substitute, the one sacrifice once and for all, the great high priest who went in on your behalf. See, Jesus confounded the Jewish leaders with uh, the startling statement recording in John 8 and 58 when he said, uh, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And that kind of got their attention because he's declaring to them that that eternal word became the living word, and he was standing right in front of them. And that's what got their attention on who he claimed to be. Did he just say what I think he said? That's what their response, their shock is. Um, when, they, when they brought him before Pilate, they could find no fault other than he claimed to be God. The bottom line is they crucified Jesus Christ because he claimed to be God. And when Peter preached that message, that's what stirred them in their spirit and said, what do we got to do to fix this? 
Well, men and brethren, this is what you got to do. And that's when that salvation message, the powerful demonstration of that salvation message happened on the day of Pentecost and and is still continuing to happen today. I'm trying to bring it quickly to a close. So the eternal word became the living word, which became the saving word. Why did God need to take on a physical form? Could he not have committed communicating with his creation in some spirit form or some, through some theophanies as he did in the Old Testament? No, God had a plan. And the, the power of sin in man had to be destroyed to bring about a reconciliation between God and man. You, you read this in Ezekiel 18 and 4. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Paul writes and says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hebrews 9.22, without shedding of blood is no remission. When mankind sinned, he tried to cover his nakedness with fig leaves. They sewed them together and tried to cover, but that was not sufficient. And God comes along and says, uh, where, where, where are you, Adam and Eve? And they were hiding. And, and, and it's not like God didn't know. <laughs> Why are you hiding? <laughs> well, we're, we're naked and we're ashamed. And they're trying to cover up that shame with fig leaves. And, and, and God uh, uh, said that was not going to qualify. The, the penalty for sin required death. The sacrifice of a life. And God rejected, uh, rejected the, the solution that they thought was going to be okay and made for them skins. And, and let me tell you, you don't get to have skins uh, without something dying. And so when it came to the sin of mankind, uh, uh, to be eternally be able to be removed from your life, uh, that couldn't happen through big leaves, and it wasn't going to happen through some type of a gopher. God was going to come uh, in humanity himself and say, once uh, and for all, I'm going to take care of the sin of mankind so that they can be free. Oh, thank you, Jesus. This is the power of of the incarnation because the blood of bulls and goats could not cleanse mankind from sin. That was just a temporary solution at best. But God in his foreknowledge, he knew man's need for redemption before man ever sinned. This didn't come as a surprise to God. Well, you know what? I made creation and oh boy, they've made a boo-boo. No, Jesus Christ the Bible says, was the lamb from the foundation of the world. He already knew what the plan was going to be. This wasn't plan B or plan C. I've got to come up with a new solution. No, he knew already he was going to take upon himself not only deity but humanity. And in the incarnation become the sacrifice for you and I so that we could be saved. First John 316, hereby perceive we the law of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Paul writes and says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, 
God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. God came in flesh to pay the awful price for sin. And that was the death on the cross. How, how is that written? Well, Paul writes it maybe the best. To wit, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, not putting it upon man, but rather taking it upon himself. No man was going to qualify except for Jesus Christ, who was God manifested in the flesh. And Paul says, this is how it is. He's not imputing their trespasses unto them. Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Someone who had no sin was taking sin upon himself, our sin, so that we could understand how to live right. That's what Paul's writing. The power of the incarnation, understanding that Jesus is both God and man, allows you and I to be free from sin tonight. It not being imputed unto us, but the supreme sacrifice once and all, the eternal word became the living word who became the saving word. The same God who said, let there be light, and there was light, manifested himself in flesh so that he could go to the cross to die for you and I, that we could live for him. I think it would only be right if we stood to our feet tonight and just took a few moments and just thanked him, hallelujah, for that powerful incarnation. Hallelujah, that he's both God and man. Hallelujah, he understands everything about you. Amen, he's gone through everything that you've gone through. Amen, he knows exactly how you feel. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. He knows exactly what you're up against. Amen, he knows because he became humanity. Hallelujah, but almighty God, hallelujah, in flesh. Hallelujah, come to this earth that I could live for him in 2023. Thank you, Jesus, for the power of the incarnation, the eternal word that became the living word, that became the saving word. Thank you, Jesus, that you took upon yourself my sin. You became sin for us, God, that we could live freely, hallelujah, and be redeemed from the sin of this world. I give you glory. I give you praise. I give you thanks tonight, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus, hallelujah. Praise your holy name, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. Praise your holy name tonight. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise your holy name, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Amen.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise your holy name, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, never let us forget how powerful, how powerful the Almighty God is. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I, I'm, I'm glad you've been in Bible study tonight. Everyone that's watching or listening online, thank you for joining us at Mission Point. Amen. Just, uh, uh, just a couple things. Uh, Friday night prayer here at the church. We shared our vision on Sunday night. We want you to bring your family, your kids, your young people. They need to be in prayer. Amen. They learn by praying. They learn by watching you pray. Amen. Let them come and hear the elders pray. Let them see, amen, what it takes uh, to get to where you are. It takes prayer. You can't do it without prayer. Amen. Our vision is one uh, for 2023. One accord, one church, one mission. They all go together. If, I, I don't know if you've actually noticed. Uh, it's a little dark over in that corner, maybe. But uh, in the background of that uh, banner is all these words that may not seem to make a lot of sense. Uh, those are all different languages uh, that mention the number one. And so that's one in dozens and dozens of languages. So that's what you see. Amen. We're in a multicultural church that believes in one accord, one church, and one mission. I thank God. Hallelujah. Amen. That Jesus Christ is both God and man. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. Be faithful to God's house on Sunday. Thank you for joining us at Mission Point tonight. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.